on this week's episode, I make the statement, stop asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Why would I say that? Isn't that the point? I don't think so. Are you ready? Welcome to the Church 2060 Podcast, where we talk about all things church, where we've been, what we've learned, and where we're going. I'm Mike Brewer. Welcome, everyone, to episode seven of the Church 2060 podcast. I cannot believe we have hit episode seven, but it is here. And I am coming off the heels of one of my favorite episodes so far last week when I had Pastor Spencer Robinette join me for a conversation about the church, issues of the church, and what his perspective was on the future. If you have not listened to that, go check it out. It is fantastic. Thank you, Spencer, for being a part of the show. What I want to talk about this week it's not the pandemic. It's not the latest TV show. It's not Tiger King. It is asking Jesus to forgive you for your sins. And I think, ladies and gentlemen, it is time as a people, as a church, we stopped asking Jesus to forgive our sins. Now, I can imagine there's a lot of people that are thinking right now, that's what we're supposed to do, Mike. Why are you telling us to stop? Well, I'll tell you, I was always taught the same thing. Sin Ask Jesus to forgive you. In fact, in my tradition growing up, what I was taught was that every time I sinned, I needed to ask Jesus to forgive me for that sin. It didn't matter that I was saved. I was taught to ask Jesus to forgive you for your sin every single time. Now, when I was a kid, it didn't matter to me. Okay, I sinned. I'll ask Jesus to forgive me. When I became a teenager, there was no keeping up. And I'll be honest. I thought for sure every day of my life that I was going to hell because there was no way I could keep up with every sin I'd ever committed by asking Jesus to forgive me for it. Just wasn't. There was no way it was going to happen. I don't expect that most of us could handle that situation. In fact, I don't even know that we recognize every time we sin. And I think that asking Jesus to forgive us for sin every time we sin is diminishing the work that Jesus did on the cross. I think that it's not biblical for us to keep asking for forgiveness for our sins over and over again. I believe that the work on the cross covered our sin as a whole. It covered all sin, past, present, and future. There's a lot that goes into that. There's a lot of scripture that backs that up. And you might be saying, well, Mike, there's a lot of scripture that backs up the fact that we need to ask Jesus to forgive us every time we sin. And I say, I disagree. In fact, I want to go over some of it now. I want to talk about why I believe we should not be asking Jesus to forgive us every time we sin. There's two things that happen in the New Testament. We see very often people being told to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and they will be saved. So let me point out something that happens when you see those moments. And I suggest you just do a Google search or search on your your phone and search the word believe and see how many times you see the word or see the sentence or phrase Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Look in those passages and find where it said that the person got on their knees and asked God to forgive them of their sins. I challenge you to do that, and I tell you, 
If you find one, I'll be shocked because my Bible doesn't seem to have it in it. There's another theme that keeps going on in the New Testament too, and it's the word repent. And that's where I believe we get it wrong most of the time. We see scripture telling us to repent of our sins, and we believe that means to ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins. Now, I get it. I was taught that. I was taught that I had to ask for forgiveness every time. And I'm here to tell you that is not what the scripture is telling us to do. Now, let's go back to the word believe. If you look up the word believe, it shows up in the New Testament, and it's the Greek word pistuo. Now, I giggle a little little bit as I say that because I promise you I am not trying to find a new way to do some Christian cussing, okay? The word is pronounced pistuo, or very close to that. It's Greek, so you know the old joke. It's all Greek to me. But that word for believe means three things. That word believe means to put your faith in, to put your trust in, and to commit to. It means those three things. Now, let's think about those for a second. Put your faith in. Put your trust in. Those are very similar. You're, you're taking this idea that this person now is not just a person that you have an intellectual belief in, that you know that that person is God, or that person is the Son of God. That person is the Savior of mankind. Intellectually, you can know that. Scripture tells us that even demons knew that. But what the word believe the word pistuo means is that you have faith in and you put your trust in. That's what we're supposed to do with Jesus. We're supposed to put our trust in. We're supposed to make him the person we go to for all things spiritual. That's believe. Now, there's one other aspect, and that's commit to. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior, then you are committing to him. That's not just a simple word. They took that very seriously in the New Testament in the time in this first century when when Jesus was around and they said to believe in him. It wasn't a matter of, yes, I believe that he is the Savior. It was a matter of, I put my faith, my trust, and I am committed to that person. Consider a marriage, right? You commit to that person, which means you love them and love them only, right? That's how marriage is supposed to work. You don't cheat on that person. You don't have intellectual or emotional or physical affairs with anybody else. That's your person. When it comes to Jesus and you commit to Jesus, you're committing to love him, to put your faith and trust in him, that he is your God. He is your savior. He is the promised Messiah. That is believing in Jesus. That's what it means. Now, I understand we've been taught something different or what we've been taught has been incomplete or what we've been taught has just generally been without form, right? It doesn't have the fullness of the, of the Greek word for believe built into it. It just means believe. And honestly, the English word believe does not do the Greek word justice. Believe means to have faith in, to put our trust in, and to commit to. And in the New Testament, when Jesus said, do that and you will be saved, guess what? You were saved. Notice the absence of getting on your knees and begging for forgiveness. Notice the absence of saying, Jesus, I want you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. Big absence. Now, there's another word that we see a lot in the New Testament, and it is repent. This word has a few different definitions. You can go back to the Old Testament and look at the word repent, 
And the basic definition for the word there was to return. In other words, to turn away from whatever nonsense you're doing, whatever sin you're involved in, and simply return to God. Because that's where we belong, right? With God. And I love that definition because there's such a simplistic purity to it that, okay, I'm going to stop doing this and I'm going to return to my God. I love that. Now, in the New Testament, the definition gets a little more rounded, right? Because we move from this this idea that we can have a festival or we can have an action or a sacrifice to repent. And we move to this idea that we have someone who loves us and wants to take care of us and wants to save us. So the word repent changes a bit. It goes from the word teshuva in the Old Testament, which means to return. And it turns into the word metaneo, which I'm pretty sure I'm butchering the pronunciation on. But in the New Testament, that word means to have a change of heart or to change your mind about your past sin. And I love that definition. It's similar to the Old Testament definition, but it involves a heart change. It involves you taking a look at what you're doing and saying, I'm wrong about this. It's time for me to change. And I need to turn from what I'm doing, return to the Father with a change of heart. A change of heart that only comes from the love of God and the Holy Spirit. Now, notice again, this word repent does not have anything in its definition or in the way it gets carried out in the New Testament that involves anyone getting on their knees and asking Jesus to forgive them for their sins. This is curious. And I understand it's curious because we've been taught to ask Jesus to forgive us for our sins. Some people have even been in traditions to where if they've sinned and somebody found out about it, they've been, they were taken to the front of the church, told to confess their sin, get on their knees, repent, and shamed publicly for what they've done, which I will call, right now, I will call abuse and tell you that is not biblical at all. And it does not represent the love or the person or the work of Jesus Christ. So where do we go from here? What does that look like if we're not asking Jesus to forgive us of our sins? Why are we not asking Jesus to forgive our sins? believe and repent, I kind of get a a look at putting my faith and trust in Jesus and committing to him and turning away from what was my sin, changing my opinion about it, having a change of heart. Surely that isn't right. Surely there's situations in the New Testament where people got on their knees and and asked God to forgive them of their sins. Surely there's conversions that way. Well, I don't see it. And what I want to do now is take take a minute and talk about what we did see in the New Testament what those situations actually look like, and what Jesus had to say about those situations. Let's take a quick break to talk about something very important. Are you a church leader that deals with the church's finances? Do you find that a good deal of time is taken up dealing with bookkeeping? It's unavoidable. Between giving, giving statements, bookkeeping, payroll, deductions, direct deposit, your time is precious. It seems like too much time can be swallowed up dealing with these issues while ministry opportunities can be missed. It happens to all of us. Or maybe your situation is one where there just needs to be a change. It's a very big deal to have someone who is fully invested and understands the liabilities involved. Did you know that more money is lost through bad bookkeeping than is spent annually on global missions? That's a true story. These reasons are why I want to tell you about Evermore Financial Services. Evermore Financial is owned and operated by ministry partners. They are both church planters, and that matters because they understand the struggle and have come to specialize in handling church finances. 
Evermore Financial offers customizable solutions for all church accounting needs, whether it's online giving, giving statements, payroll, direct deposit, payroll deductions, housing allowance, or even W-2s. Whatever the needs are, the staff at Evermore understands and are ready to help. If this sounds like your needs too, whether it's today or three months from now, we want to talk. Your time is valuable to the kingdom and Evermore Financial is here for you. And did I mention that the owners of Evermore Financial actually do care about the financial success of your ministry? They do. They really do. For your peace of mind, Evermore is invested in current technology to make sure that your convenience, privacy, and security are always a top priority. Through our cloud-based accounting software, you can have immediate and always up-to-date access to any of your accounts from anywhere, anytime. Your peace of mind and accessibility are important to us, so we always want you to have easy access to your books. While we can assist any business that is looking to grow, Evermore Financial Services specializes in nonprofits, particularly church planning and operations. Don't just take our word for it. Check out this testimonial from a local church. Evermore Financial Services continues to be a fantastic partner of ours. Not only are they consummate professionals in all of their interactions, but they provide us with a personal touch in helping us to manage and plan our financial strategy. Their attention to detail is a strong point in their process, and they are incredibly proactive, helping us to anticipate and plan for financial events. Their integrity is impeccable. If you have a church, nonprofit, or a small business, that could benefit from a financial supporter, you would be well served to partner with Evermore Financial Services. If it sounds like this could be a fit for your needs, let me know. If you're thinking that this might be a need down the road, we want to hear from you. We get it. If you have any questions or you're ready to talk, email me. I am Mike at EvermoreFS.com. That's Mike at E-V-E-R-M-O-R-E-F-S.com. We're looking forward to hearing from you. And in the meantime, check us out at EvermoreFS.com. Com. All right. Now let's take a quick recap of where we've been. The word believe means to put your trust in, to have faith in and commit to Jesus. This is how we become believers. This is how we become saved, as Jesus would say, believe and be saved. The word repent means to have a change of heart or to have a change of mind about your past sin and return to the Father. Those are beautiful words. And, and the process actually would be, I would say, would be reversed at repent and be saved, repent and be baptized, repent and come to know the Lord. But it sounds incomplete, doesn't it? Because we've always been told to ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins. But the situation is the forgiveness is already there waiting on us. Now, I know what you're thinking. There must be parts in the Bible where people ask for forgiveness for their sins. There has to be others. Otherwise, why else would we do that as a people now? Well, let's take a look. Let's start with the disciples. Did Peter or any of the disciples ask Jesus to forgive them of their sins? And the answer is no. They did not. It sounds weird. It sounds hard to believe, but the disciples did not ask for forgiveness for their sins. They became believers because they put their faith and their trust, and they committed themselves to Jesus. Okay, so let's go somewhere else. What about the dude on the cross next to Jesus? Jesus said that he would be with him today in paradise, so surely he asked for forgiveness, but he did not. He didn't, did he? He only, one, he only said, don't forget me, so clearly he didn't ask for forgiveness. Okay, how about Simon the sorcerer? Well, no, I'm going too far the other direction now. That was a bad situation. How about the eunuch? Remember him trying to read the scripture? Philip shows up, suddenly he's saved, baptizes, and then Philip's kind of teleported out of there. Did the eunuch 
ask for forgiveness. No, the eunuch did not ask for forgiveness. Well, how about Paul? Surely on the road where he met Jesus and he got knocked on his rear end and blinded, he stopped and said, please forgive me for my sins, which you would think if anybody needed that done, that would be him because he was killing believers and putting them in jail and supervising beatdowns for them. But he did not ask for forgiveness. Okay, Zacchaeus? Nope. Woman at the well? Nope. How about Martha? Nope. Mary Magdalene? No. See, the truth is I don't think there's anybody who actually said, will you please forgive me for my sins? There wasn't anybody who was shamed publicly for their past sins. In fact, when Jesus brought up people's sins, he didn't even do that. So I have to ask, why do we do that? Jesus said, believe. That's what Jesus said. So as we take a look at this, it's hard. I get it. It's hard. We've been taught this. This is not, this is not something where we say, oh, man, I sinned. Oh, I need to ask Jesus to forgive me. We, have, we naturally have guilt, right? And in some traditions, you have to be publicly shamed to actually get forgiveness, at least the way they're taught, not the way Jesus taught it. So I want to take a look at one more thing to drive this point home before I s- stop talking, which sometimes seems like it takes a while, I know. But let's take a, a trip back to Luke chapter 15. And you should know this story well. I'm sure you do, so please don't check out. There's something I want to point out here that I think gets overlooked in this passage. So you know the story, right? The prodigal son takes his inheritance, leaves, blows all his money on wild living, right? And then finds himself, after making a long series of bad decisions, working with pigs. And he realizes this is the worst life possible, right? Like, I'm literally down with the pigs, trying to make a living, and I don't have food, and this is stupid. And he realizes at that point he's made a mistake. He realizes he made a bad decision, and he thinks, you know what? I'm going to go back, and I'm going to apologize to my dad. I'm going to ask my dad to forgive me and ask him for a job in a lesser position than I had when I was there because I know that even the lowest position working for my dad is better than the position I'm in here with these pigs. So he goes home, right? And what's happen- what happens when he gets home, right? A party starts, there's a celebration. He's reinstated. It's all fantastic. But the son's plan was foiled and foiled quickly. There's a line in there I want us to look at. And that line is, it says, while he was far off, his father saw him. And that, friends, is when the celebration started. That is when the reinstatement happened. The father was extremely excited and happy that the son was returning. See, the son had a change of heart. He had a changed mind about his past sin, and he was returning to the father. And that's what it took for the father to accept him back, reinstate him, and for the celebration to start. I'm not kidding. Jesus said this, okay? Now, let's take another look. I'm going to go one step further because I want you to see how wonderful of a God we serve. The celebration in the story of the prodigal son is not unique to the story of the prodigal son. If you go just a little bit further back in Luke 15, you see the story of the lost sheep. And we get, we get this idea of a, of a reckless love. I hate to be controversial, but one sheep is missing and the shepherd goes out and gets the one sheep. Now, sheep are dumb, right? He could have lost all 99 of the other ones, but he was in pursuit of the one who was gone. When we walk away or we flee 
or we stray, Jesus is in pursuit of us. Not in a weird, unhealthy way, but he wants us to know his love all the time. Now, how does that story end? Let me just read these words to you. He says, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns. There's a distinction between those two words. Repents, meaning has a change of heart about their sin, and returns to God. Let me start that over then. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over the one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Guys, that's our God. He's not looking for you to grovel or be shamed or beg him. He's looking for you to return and have a change of heart about the messed up stuff that's going on in your life. That's our God. He is in pursuit of us when we stray. And he parties when we get back and we are reinstated. So I'll leave you with this. Instead of asking Jesus to forgive you when you sin, understand that your sins are forgiven. When you became a believer in Jesus and you became a Christian, as we call it, your sins, past, present, and future, were forgiven. All sin is what Scripture says. So when you sin, understand that Jesus is not looking for you to beg. He's not looking for you to ask him for anything. He's looking for you to have a change of heart about what you've done and to come back. That is reconciliation. That is what reconciling with the Father looks like, having a change of heart about our sin and returning to him. That's our God. That's who loves us. That's someone who I want to return to when I sin. Guys, I hope this hasn't been weird. I hope it hasn't been strange to hear someone tell you not to ask for forgiveness for your sins, but I don't believe it's biblical, and I think it comes with an unhealthy understanding of the gospel. I think it comes with an unhealthy understanding of what God expects from us when we've strayed. So know that you serve a God that loves you and does not want you to beg, does not want you to have shame, does not want you to have regret, does not want you to grovel for your position back in his kingdom. We serve a God who loves us, restores us, parties when we come back, and just wants to see that our heart has moved on from that part of our life. So I'll leave it there. Thank you. May grace and peace be with you. This has been the Church 2060 Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe and you will be notified when new episodes drop. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, I am at Church 2060 Online. And until next time, may hope and peace be with you.